How great thou art. God is truly great. In his love, in his compassion, in his power, in his work, we serve a great God. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Again, as we mentioned a minute ago, we will begin in verse 24. And I believe we've got some great truths to, to apply to us uh, in, in the life of our church, in the life of every church, certainly in the life of every congregation, but particularly apropos for this congregation at this time, in this point in our history. Before we read the text and before we get into the, uh, the message, I want us to spend some time again approaching the throne of grace in prayer. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, we just am grateful. We are grateful for your greatness, for your great grace that loved us while we were still enemies, while we were still hostile in mind, while we were still cut off and outside and going our own way. You loved us and you demonstrated your love for us through the death of Christ on the cross. Father, we know of his life that was perfect and without sin, though tempted in every manner, just as we are yet without sin. We know how he accomplished about three years of ministry, mostly on the shores of Galilee and in the northern part of the kingdom, and then in Jerusalem. Father, we have read and studied your word, and we remember how Jesus, in the last week of his incarnation of his life upon this earth, was celebrated by people. And yet, in just a few short days, those same people were calling for his death and calling for his crucifixion. All in accordance with your plan, so that your purposes might be fulfilled, so that sin could be paid for, so that death could be defeated and the grave emptied, so that we might have life. Not only the, the Jews who you began with Abraham in the Old Testament, the nation that you nurtured for centuries, but, Father, for the whole world, for Gentiles, uh, for every person exposed to the gospel that hears the gospel and has the opportunity to respond in repentance and faith, you, your, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is enough. And, Father, you're continuing your work in the world. And so as we, as we look in this passage today, as we listen to the testimony of the Apostle Paul, I pray that you will just apply it to our hearts and to our lives, that we'll hear what you have to say. In your name I pray. Amen. Back to our text in Colossians chapter 1. We know that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church at Colossae, and we know that he has prayed for them, and he is exalting the Lord Jesus Christ. And... One of the things that you get as you go through this text is just the complete absorption, the complete devotion, the complete preoccupation that the Apostle Paul has with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is exalted. He is the Lord of creation. He is the Lord of the church. He is the agent of creation. He holds all things together. In him, the fullness of God dwelled bodily. And this was because Paul had met Christ. You remember when we were in, the, in, in our study in Acts, when we got to Acts chapter 9, Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when Christ introduced himself in a radical fashion, where Paul met Christ where he was blinded, where he fell off his horse, where he made his way to Damascus, and there he was given an assignment by Christ. There he had this transforming experience. And Paul never got over that. As a matter of fact, uh, when God sent Ananias, the believer, to Paul, he, uh, the message that he gave him was, listen, you're God's chosen instrument. I've got a, a task for you. 
And I think it's important for us to remember that as a church, church isn't just about gathering on Sunday morning, and it's not just about one, one expression of, of ministry or one expression of service. Being a church is who we are as the people of God and dwell with the Spirit of God. And again, as we have studied before when we first started Acts, we are continuing Christ's ongoing ministry. Did Christ finish His work on the cross? Yes, hallelujah, completely done, completely finished. Is Christ's work in the world finished? Not yet. Not yet. He continues His work in the world. What He did in His physical body, which, by the way, why did you come? I came, he says, to seek and to save the lost. Why did you come? John 10.10. 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He came to build his church. Jesus said in Matthew, I will build my church. Upon this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so his ongoing work is building his church quantitatively, that is, bringing people into the family of God, bringing people into the kingdom of God, convicting of sin and righteousness and judgment, the proclamation of the gospel, what Paul says here and describes as declaring the mystery that was hidden but now is revealed to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the gospel of salvation, we can know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's his emphasis and that's his focus. God's work is ongoing. Christ's work is ongoing through his body, through his body, the church. Last week we saw that one explanation of that phrase, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. It's simply that even though Christ accomplished his work, his enemies had not, and we are the body of Christ now. And so we will continue to suffer at the hands of the enemies of the cross. But I, I don't think I adequately conveyed the emphasis that is in this text. That little phrase, Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Jesus came to build his church. Jesus came to see lost people saved. Jesus came to help people to understand what it means to walk in his strength and his power. It's important that we recognize that, that the disciples got this. Do you remember how Jesus called his disciples? They got that everybody had a task, everybody had a mission, everybody had a commission. And the mission, or the commission, the task, was to uh, um, serve in different roles for the glory of God. To be evangelists, yes. To be disciple makers, yes. To serve in different roles for the glory of God. Remember when Jesus called his first disciples? Come, follow me, and I will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Come, follow me, and, and I will make you um, at peace and calm and comfortable in life until you get to go to heaven and live in a mansion and play a musical instrument and sing on key. No, come, follow me, and I will make you Fishers of men. You guys have already answered it two or three times. I will make you fishers of men. The call constitutes a commission. It is a call to salvation. It is a call to experience forgiveness. It is a call to be made new. But it's also a call to ministry, a call to, stir, uh, to serve. Paul says in verse 30, uh, 24 and then verse 25, 
when he's talking about the ministry, he rejoices that he gets to suffer in his body for their sake, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body, that is the church. So he's continuing to do Christ's work in and through the church, of which I became a minister, which means servant uh, diakonos, we talked about that last week, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. He had a mission, a stewardship. And here's the exciting and terrifying news. You and I both have a stewardship. We have a stewardship entrusted to us, a role to play, a part to fill. One of the ways that that has been interpreted in New American Standard and a couple of other translations says, Paul says, I'm taking my turn. I'm taking my turn. And sure, I will suffer. I'll get out of my comfort zone. I will sacrifice. I will, it will cost me to do this, but I'm willing for it to cost me because of what Christ has done in me and through me. As you're, as you're uh, uh, going along, the first blank on your outline, or the first point, actually, is that we need to recognize that we have a stewardship from God and we need to fulfill the stewardship that is entrusted to you. As a matter of fact, you, you need to not write you, you need to write me. I need to fulfill the stewardship entrusted to me. Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that everybody has a place of service. You may say, wait, I'm not, a, I'm not a minister, I'm not a preacher, I'm not a staff member. This week, at some point, take some time to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or Romans chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, in that passage, there's the very clear declaration that every member is given gifts from God to be used for the good of his body, the church. He says, and I'll quote, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each one. Everyone is given the manifestation of the Spirit, the display of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit for the common good. That's important. Everybody has a commission. Everybody has a task. Everyone has been gifted for that. Romans 12 emphasizes the same thing. You guys will be familiar with Romans 12. If you get down to verse 4, it says, In one body we have many members, and the members don't all have the same function. Everybody has their own task. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, individually members one of another, having gifts, roles, responsibilities, abilities that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. I do want you to turn to another passage, a, a verse I want us to read together. It's in First Peter. And it talks about this very same thing. It is Peter talking. He's talking about this very same thing that Paul is describing as his experience. In First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4. We're just going to look at two verses. Verses 10 and 11. First Peter chapter 4. Verses 10 and 11. Peter is writing and he says, as each, as each one, not just the specially gifted ones, not just the ones who are called to a special ministry or a platform ministry. This is every believer, as each one has received a gift. It's, an, it's a, just a reality, spiritual reality. You have a gift, a talent, an ability, a competency that is beyond you, that is given to you by God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Same word that Paul used in Colossians chapter 1. As stewards of God's varied grace. I love that. God's varied grace. Much diversity in the body. Much complementing of gifts. Whoever speaks 
as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. And so the first point is really pretty simple. It is that you have a role to play. You have a a place to serve, a ministry to fulfill, a stewardship to manage, a, a commission to accept in the continuation of Christ's work, which is building up his body, which is sharing the gospel and seeing more people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least giving them opportunity through the proclamation of God's word. And then, of course, qualitatively, as people learn to rest in the Spirit of God and learn the Word of God and learn how to depend upon God working in their heart and life and become more and more holy as they leave behind and mortify the deeds of the flesh and our mind is changed from the hostilities that we used to have against God into embracing the truth of God in our life. And everybody, everybody has a role to play. I ran track in high school. That was a long time ago. I'm just going to let you know it's a long When I ran track, the uh, one lap around the track was called 440. It wasn't called 400. It was 440 yards instead of 400 meters. But it's pretty close to the same thing. Uh, it, it was a long time ago. And one of the ra- races that I ran was uh, what would now be called the 400-meter race. Or, and then the other one, back then, we called it the mile relay. The mile relay. And so there were four people running. And everybody ran one lap. And we would run with a baton in our hands. And so the first person would get it. He'd run his lap, hand it off to the next runner who'd run his lap. So between the four of us, we ran a mile, each of us running a quarter of a mile. In the uh, conference track meet, I ran the third leg of the relay team, which means there were two people before me and one person after me. Um, we were pretty good. We were, had been to the upper state track meet and had been to the state track meet the year before. And we had all four returning runners. And we were okay. As a matter of fact, the expectation is that we would win the upstate and that we would go to state and compete for the state title. And we had trained, and we had practiced. DeMorris Parrott took the baton and started the race off. And when he came around the third corner, headed toward the straight to hand the baton off, he did a good job. He was in second place. We got the second lane for the next lap. The next runner did a great job, and he handed it off. Third runner comes around the corner, and here I am. And now we are in first place. We had not even got to the anchor leg yet. I'm the third leg. As the baton is coming, I'm excited. Hold my hand out. He slaps the baton in my hand, and I take off. Now, by now, our next closest runner is 20 yards behind. That's a long way in a 400-meter run. And I'm feeling pretty good. We're moving along pretty well. And I make the first corner, second corner. We go down the back stretch, come into the third corner. And I don't know what happened. I just got slack, just got lazy, just got sweaty, whatever. But the baton went flying out of my hand. And I didn't know what to do. 
So I stopped running and went and chased it down. <laughs> because I knew that the next guy had to have the baton before he could keep going. And so I ran off the track, crossed the lane, just about knocked to run another runner down, ran over next to the chain link fence outside of the track area, got it, came back in, and by the time I got the baton to Ray Pruitt, we were in last place. And we were disqualified. Because I dropped the baton. Now that's a true story. But I got to tell you, I wish it wasn't. You guys ever have those memories and you think, oh, these are good memories, but you have those memories where you think, oh, there are days when I wish the ground would open up and just swallow me and I could just disappear. I have to tell you, I didn't get any f- high fives. I didn't get any uh, good job. I didn't get any, well, you did the best you can. I'm not going to tell you what I got. You don't want to know. But it was not well done, good and faithful servant. And there are memories that I have of things that I have done that are just foolish or that's just uh, stupid or just bad choices and bad decisions that I wish I could just go back and erase. Or that I wish I would have never done in the first place. What I want us to understand here is that you and I get a baton. We get a baton from those who have gone before. We certainly are handed the commission, we're put on the team by the coach, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a role to fill, and we're given the wisdom to do it, we're given the strength to do it, we're given the guidance to do it. We need to be what Paul calls circumspect. We need to be careful, we need to be cautious, we need to make sure that we're not playing around with the task that God gives us in growing and building his family, his church, through the gospel and through investing our lives into one another. Does that make sense? That it's just an important role. Paul said, I've got a stewardship that has been entrusted to me, which means that in serving God in, the, in his body, we can't be just dabblers or dilettantes. We can't say, well, I'll do stuff like that when I get around to it, or I'll do stuff like that when I can work it into my schedule, or I'll do stuff like that when it's quick and easy. or not. I'll do it if, if I can make it fit into the plans that I already have. And we need to certainly not say, I'll do it if it's not too hard. You guys know Paul's story, right? I mean, you know. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Meanwhile, his back is covered with scars from the multiple times where he got lashed up to 39 times. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and he's sitting in prison chained to Roman guards, the Praetorian guard. I rejoice in my suffering for your sake on behalf of the church, doing Christ's work, Christ doing his work in me and through me for his glory. My ministry, the ministry that he has stewarded to me, that he has entrusted me, I'm glad to do it, even though all of my resources have been committed to this. I don't have a savings account. I don't have a retirement plan. I'm, I'm committed to do this, even though it completely redirected my life and all of my degrees are no longer applicable in the career path that I've got. I, I'm, I'm excited to do this, even though the relationships that I could have aspired to, I can no longer aspire to, because this is what's consuming my mind and my heart and my attention, and this is the specific call God's placed upon my life. God moves us out of our comfort zone for His glory. Amen? And so when He gives us a task and a calling, we have to recognize that there's a 
price to be paid. We have to be like Paul as an example here who proclaims Christ, who is fulfilling his ministry, the ministry that he was a chosen instrument for by first of all fulfilling our stewardship and recognizing it, but also by fulfilling our stewardship in his way, which means that we entrust ourselves to God's wisdom, not ours. It's really important that we do that. See, Paul, in this Colossians letter, says, I became a minister, and this is my task according to the stewardship from God given to me. And he tells them what it was. It's to make the Word of God fully known, fully known, fully known. I'm not playing. I'm not dabbling. This is all, I, I am all in, fully known. It's what First Peter 4 said, when, if, you, if you speak Preach as though it's the oracles of God. If you, if you serve, serve in the strength that God provides. Fully engaged. Paul says it's to, the mystery of preaching, or to preach the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed. Who, um, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this ministry, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning every man and teaching everyone. Now, that's a whole another, that's a specific gift. You may be called to be a preacher or to be a teacher where you study the Word of God and you proclaim it and invest in the life of people. And we'll, we'll go into that in a future study. But everyone has a gift of service. Everyone has some role to play in the body of Christ. And this next phrase applies to all of us. How does Paul say he does it? With all wisdom. With all wisdom. Does that make sense? With all wisdom. Well, how, how smart do you have to be? There are those who say, well, I would teach or I would lead or I would get engaged in this ministry, but I just don't think I can handle it. I don't think I'm the right person for the job. Does that sound familiar, by the way? Do you guys remember the story of Moses? Do you guys remember the story of Moses? Exodus chapter 2, but particularly chapter 3 and chapter 4. God had set aside Moses for a specific task to deliver the children of Israel. He meets him in the wilderness in a burning bush, has him take off his shoes, and God speaks to him, and God says, Moses, I'll paraphrase, you're my chosen instrument for this task. I want you to go. I want you to talk to Pharaoh. I want you to lead my people out. And what was Moses' response? You got the wrong guy. You got the wrong guy. Not me. I can't do this. Listen, I can't even speak very well. I can't speak. I have trouble talking. And what did God say? I made your mouth. You think I can't make it possible for you to speak as I intend you to speak? There's a little section in there which I really like. When Moses was saying, I can't, I can't, I can't, you can't use me. God said, what's that you hold in your hand? And Moses replied, my staff. What is a staff? It's a stick, a piece of wood. And God tells him to throw it on the ground. And what happens? God turns it into a snake. And you guys in Sunday school this morning learned about a snake. <laughs> the kids did. Uh, but this is a different one. This is a, a, a rod, a, a, a stick, a piece of wood. He throws it on the ground. Turns into a snake and it scares Moses. And so Moses runs away and jumps out of the way. What is God doing? God's demonstrating that he can do anything with a stick. 
He's letting Moses know that Moses doesn't have to depend upon his own wisdom and he doesn't have to depend upon his own strength. He can depend upon God who is calling him and who will work in him and work through him. God can use a stick. As a matter of fact, I think it's Exodus 4.20 when it says, all right, Moses gets it and he's going to trust God and he's going to go, that he gets up on his, he gets himself and his wife and his son and he gets the, the, the staff of God. And by the way, God uses that staff. God uses Moses. He uses it in his confrontation with Pharaoh. He uses it in the implementation of the Ten Plagues. And he uses it when they cross the Red Sea. Can God use a stick? Can he use you? You guys know the story of Balaam, right? God used a donkey as a preacher. No comparisons to me, please. I would appreciate you skip that part. And so it's not our qualifications, it's our willingness, and frankly, it's our trusting in God's wisdom. It's our trusting in God's will. There's one example I want to share with you really quick about a guy who missed it. It's the same guy who wrote the letter that we read from just a minute ago, Peter. In, in, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has shifted his teaching from, to his disciples, and he's preparing them for his upcoming death. You guys will remember Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they give him answers. And he says, who do you say I am? And Peter says, well, you're, you're the Son of God. You're the Lamb of God. You're, you, you know. and, and Jesus says, well, Peter, good. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. And then he begins to really drill down into uh, what is coming up. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief, chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. What happened? Jesus is telling him this is God's plan. And Peter says, Wait, I don't like that plan. This is, this is not a good methodology. This is not a good strategy. Uh, we're following you. We want others to follow you. We want to build your kingdom. This will never happen to you. We don't want this strategy. And of course, Jesus answers, and he turns to Peter, and he says, Get thee behind me, and then he calls him something you don't want to be called by Jesus at any time. Get thee behind me, Satan. What does that mean? Well, you're a hindrance to me. You're a stumbling block to me. And then he just says it like this. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I want you to hear what he's saying. This, it would make, this, what I'm telling you now doesn't make sense in worldly wisdom. But it is the mind of God. It is the plan of God. It is the wisdom of God that is essential that it must happen. Paul says, I warn and I proclaim and I instruct according to the wisdom of God. We need to make sure that when we are conducting whatever ministry God has invited us into, whether it's the, the, the tech, tech guys at the, at the back of the room, whether it is uh, serving on a team or a committee, whether it is in a classroom, whether it is visiting the homebound, whether it is uh, serving on a committee that, that goes over documents, wh whatever role it is, we need to make sure that we are doing it in accordance to the wisdom of God. Now, where do we find the wisdom of God? The Word of God. The Word of God. You remember when Solomon, the third king of Israel, was king, and God came to him and said, you're going, you're going to be king, or you are king now after David. And I'll give you whatever you ask. What do you want? What did Solomon say? He said, I'm a child. I'm not capable of leading this, your great people. 
And he asked him for wisdom. And God was thrilled. (laughs) And said, oh, good answer. Good request. Because you've asked for wisdom, I will give you wisdom. And so much more. Solomon wrote a good portion of the Old Testament. He certainly wrote most of the book of Proverbs. And in Proverbs chapter 1, we find that wisdom is to be found in the Word of God. Psalm 19, wisdom is found in the Word of God. Psalm 119, over and over again, wisdom is found in the Word of God. James chapter 3, starting at verse 13 and going through the end of the chapter, which we studied some time ago. You can go back and look at it. I would encourage you to. says that there is a wisdom that comes from above and there is a wisdom that comes from the flesh. And the wisdom that comes from the flesh is not wisdom. It's wisdom. God's work must be done God's way in God's power. We have to trust the wisdom of God. See, He's got a place for you to serve and He's got a way for you to serve that is in alignment with the teaching of His Word. Can I, can I just give you a word of warning real quick? When it comes to service in ministry, there are ditches in extremes. And I want to help us, help me, help you, to be careful that we don't want to fall into one of these dishes, ditches. You see, our ministry sometimes has parts of it that we love to do and parts of it that we don't particularly enjoy. They're just harder for us to do. They take us more out of our comfort zone. Uh, they're just more challenging, more difficult. And we will tend to do the things we like to do and not do the things that cost us more or the things that are harder for us or the things that make us more uncomfortable. We'll do the things typically, default to the things that are easier, and they may be good things, they may be right things, but we need to recognize that every believer has, um, uh, I don't know the word, a multifaceted ministry. There are different aspects to your ministry. There are different components to your ministry. There may be tasks that God calls you to do to the building up His body that are just not enjoyable, but they're needful, and He's the one who brings you joy as you step in to the needful part. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, let me give you just a couple of examples. And I want to speak first to the men and then to the women. And you're going to love it. Uh, men. Well, let me speak to the married men, or those who hope to be married. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that when you take a wife, you've added a ministry role in your life. When you take a wife, you've added a ministry role in your life. You are to be the pastor of your wife, your spouse. You're to love her and care for her. You're to provide for her. And you're to be the spiritual leader in your home. You're to open the word of God in your home. You're to pray in your home. You are to invest your life in those that God has entrusted to you in your immediate family. As a minister. He says, now, again, this is Paul. He had such exciting things to say from time to time. But he said, you know, for those of you, it's really better not to marry at all so you can give complete, divided attention to the service of God. But if, if, if you're to be married, if it burns within you, it's better to be married. Be married, but recognize that when you're married, then you're divided. You have a multifaceted ministry, and you cannot neglect your wife. And then add children in. You cannot neglect your children, and I know and you know of pastors and evangelists 
music leaders, missionaries, who have gotten so enamored of serving the church that they neglect their family and they lose even their ministry because they lose what matters. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying about falling into a ditch, not recognizing that your ministry has multifacets, not staying in balance? You need wisdom to stay in balance. It doesn't mean that God ha- doesn't have a ministry for you in the church. He does. But it means that you have a primary ministry, and that's in your home. It's important to note that and to remain balanced there. It's important. All right, women, you ready? Women who are married or who are planning to be married, when it, this matters to God is His instructions. When He created Adam and then Eve in the garden, He gave a job description in what He called her and how He described her. He brought her to Adam and said, Here, this is your, what do you call her? A helper. A help who is suited to you. Wives, you have a role, a primary role in Scripture. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. Wives are to assist your husbands. You're to be a partner with your husband. He's got a ministry that God's called him, and you are to minister with him and minister to him as a primary role. Now, I know that makes people mad, and I know that flies in the face of our cultural world today. It does not mean that you can't work out of the home. It does not mean that God has not given you specific ministries in the life of a congregation, but it means that you have to keep these in balance, multifaceted. Yes, God gives me a ministry to build the body here. Yes, God gives me a ministry to build the body by being in the community here. But God has given me a ministry primary in my home, husbands and wives. And so I will tell you right now, you need godly wisdom to keep those things in balance in your life so that God's glorified in your life. Does that make sense? Don't get a lot of amens when I come to that part. But I didn't say it. God said it. And He said it because of the way that He created us. The way that He has designed us. We need wisdom in balance We need wisdom to determine the place that He has for us. We need wisdom to know how to do ministry. And we need not earthly wisdom, but God's wisdom. And we get it from being in God's Word and obedient to His Spirit. The last thing that Paul says, and I really want to move along here. But to me, this is the best part. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, starting in verse 28, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. How can we build the church of God? How can we be church members, members of his body, that give up our time and our energy, we're willing to give the extra dollar or stay the extra hour or go the extra mile, we're willing to take the extra responsibility, keeping things in balance, not neglecting our home, not neglecting our children, not neglecting our spouses, the responsibility that God has given to us, but keeping in balance. How can we be fully engaged and not just be wore out? Don't y'all get tired? Spring is the time of year for me. I got to tell you, when the sun starts shining, if the wind would die down a little bit, I'd be happier. But when, actually, that's not true. Summer is the time for me, all right? 
when it's hot. Do you guys ever get into a hot car that's been sitting out in the sun all day long, and you get in there, and it's so hot you can't hardly touch the steering wheel? You guys know what that's like? I long for that. <laughs> I look forward to those days when I can open the door, sit in the car, leave the windows up, and not start the motor and just sit there and let the heat soak in my body. All right. I'm really, if, I'm not that weird. I want to let you know there are other people like me. Okay. But man, when it gets to this time of year and the dogwoods are blooming and the garden's coming up and I think, I need more time. The lake is calling my name. Or even just working in the garden is calling my name. And I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the lake or you shouldn't work in the garden. You understand what I'm saying, right? You guys are intelligent and, and balanced. When I go back to balance and wisdom, there are times when I just want to sit and not do anything at all. And I will tell you that you need sabbatical. You need rest. You need to be able to sleep at night when it's time to sleep. You need to have those days when you just recover and those periods of time when you just recover. But can I tell you the danger that we face is not, and again, I don't know what your out of balance is. I know some people that are out of balance and they won't rest and they run themselves into the ground. I know other people who begin to rest and they like it so much they never go back to work. And I can tell you seasons in my own life where I've worked myself in the ground to out of balance, neglected my family, out of balance, neglected things that I should not have neglected. And other times when out of balance on the other extreme, not doing near what should be accomplished in me were I being obedient to God. So this is an exhortation to you, an encouragement to you. Paul says, I want to present every man complete, perfect, mature, in Christ. You see, it's Christ's work. It's not my work. Paul didn't say, I'm so glad my sermons are having the effect that they're supposed to have. He said, I'm so glad to hear Christ is working in you. He didn't say, I'm so glad that, that you're following my exhortation here there. He said, I'm so glad that you're following what God has to say about how you relate to one another and about how you love one another and about how you minister to one another and about how you proclaim the gospel. You recognize it's not our work. Is it about us? Only to the extent that we're yielded to God as chosen instruments, as useful vessels, so that His work is accomplished in us through His power working in us. We see it as a theme throughout the New Testament. He told the church at Philippi, He who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. He later tells them, just a couple of chapters later, it is God who works in you both to will and to do those things that are to His good pleasure. And so we trust in God's work. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever spoken to a group or how many of you are teachers or preachers. I can tell you just a little bit from personal experience. There are times when I have preached a sermon and I thought, Lord, just take me now. If I can't do better than this, you sure don't need me. You got, you know, much like dropping the baton. And you just feel beyond incompetent. You feel like a waste of space, that it didn't work, that it didn't go at all. And I know many of you visit homebound people and you visit people in the hospital and sometimes you'll have those visits where you go and visit and you'll say, man, I stumbled over my words. And when I prayed, I said the same sentence five times. And it, and it was just an awkward circumstance. And I just don't 
don't see how God could get glorified in this. Or you teach a class, and it's one of those days where you're supposed to bring that, and you didn't bring it. Or so-and-so was supposed to show up, and they didn't show up. Or the equipment didn't work, and, and it's like, what a waste of time. It's almost inevitably in those times that someone will come up to me, and maybe to you, and say, thank you, God used you in my life. Thank you, the word that you spoke, the lesson that you taught, the visit that you gave. God used that to encourage me or to lift me up or to correct me. You understand, it's not our competence that God desires. It's our yieldedness. It's our fulfilling the, the, the stewardship that he has given to us. Dependent upon his wisdom and trusting that he's the one that's going to do the work for his glory. It's a big deal, folks. It's a big deal. It's not me working on behalf of Christ. It is me yielding and allowing Christ to work in me. And you may say, oh, you're just playing with words. I'm not. I'm not. When it's me working on behalf of Christ, I can roll up my sleeves and I can get out my planner and I can pull out my to-do list and I can begin doing this and working and working and working and that's going to work so far and then it's going to not work any further. And it won't even work that far well because it's my strength, my wisdom, my flesh, my power. It is me saying, all right, it's Christ in me that's the hope of glory. It's Christ in me that gives me peace with God, but it's also Christ in me that stewards me and commissions me and deploys me and then gives me wisdom, sets my direction, and then gives me strength so that day after day, week after week, year after year, God is glorified. And you know why it's worth it? You know why it's worth it? to bring stuff out of a trailer and set it up on the platform every week? You know why it's worth it to, to pack stuff up in one place and transport it to another place? You know why it's worth it to take things out of bin and set up a classroom? You know why it's worth it to invite people over to your home on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night? You know why it's worth it to go over to Ray Street on a Tuesday night when you got other stuff going on in your life? You know why it's worth it to go to the hospital and visit that person that's in the hospital, or go to that nursing home or post-acute care place and spend time reading Scripture and praying. You know why it's worth it? Because of what God does in their life as a result of your obedience. Paul said, I get to present every man mature, complete in Christ. In Christ. Because of what Christ has done. I don't know about you. I needed this word today. And I pray that we'll take it to heart. So that God is glorified. And we are able to present people mature and complete in Him. Jesus began His work in His body on this earth as an incarnate God. A man walking in His flesh. To the acclaim of people, he entered Jerusalem. Come Friday, he'll be nailed to a cross. Come Sunday, there'll be an empty tomb. And his work continues today. 
through his body, the church. Father, thank you for the example that we have in the Apostle Paul. Thank you for the truth that you've given to us. I pray that you will use it in our hearts and in our lives. pray that you'll help us to recognize that you've given us a stewardship, a calling, a commission, a task, a way to be used. And that each one is to use the gifts that you've given to them for the good of the body, for the common good. I pray, Father, that we won't just go our own way, we won't just roll up our sleeves and, and go according to the wisdom of men. There's so, so many ideas and plans and books and strategies. Help us to rest in the guidance of your Holy Spirit as we study your word and allow your word to direct our way, to give us the wisdom that we need to move forward. I pray, Father, that we'll recognize it is your work. It's your work in us. It's your work through us. But it's your work that we get to participate in. It's your work that we get to be strengthened by, your strength as you move and work in us. So, Father, that's our prayer. Be glorified in us. In your name I pray. Amen.